You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. A lot to talk about. There's a coup that had been afoot, and it continues against President Trump. Important, important developments that are about the future of our republic to talk about. We have new information uh, showing another yet, uh, another FBI cover-up to protect Hillary Clinton. Uh, We're standing up for the cross in the Supreme Court of the United States. I'll tell you about that. Uh, Plus, we've got uh, a voter fraud update for you. Uh, One of our key litigation um, deadlines has come and gone this week, and I'll tell you about what what happened or what should have happened and uh, an update there. So a lot to talk about. Uh, But first up is this um, outrageous development, further confirmation that our republic's under attack, our constitutional republic's under attack uh, by top officials at the DOJ, FBI, and probably other agencies, that in 2017 uh, uh, there was a discussion, discussions among DOJ and FBI leadership to overthrow the president of the United States. Now, this information first came out in September of last year, where Rod Rosenstein and Andrew McCabe reportedly had been discussing whether they would invoke the 25th Amendment, uh, which is a, an amendment that uh, is used in theory, or would be used in theory, to remove a president uh, if he was uh, incapacitated, either mentally or physically unable to perform the duties of his office, uh, not because you disagreed with him. Uh, but that's what they wanted to do. And they were also talking about, Rod Rosenstein was, again, he was the number two at the Justice Department, and for purposes of the Mueller investigation and the Russia investigation, he was the Attorney General, the acting Attorney General. Uh, He was talking about whether or not to wear a wire into the Oval Office to record President Trump, I guess, evidently, to entrap him, uh, or you gather evidence against him for the nefarious purposes I've described. Now, when that came out, uh, it was outrageous. Nothing was done about it. Rod Rosenstein has yet to be uh, questioned by Congress about his involvement in those discussions. As best I can tell, no one's been questioned in Congress about these discussions. So Andrew McCabe, the the corrupt number two under uh, James Comey, he was made acting FBI director when President Trump uh, fired Comey, quite rightly, Last year, Andrew McCabe was angry at President Trump, evidently, for his firing of his uh, mentor and buddy, James Cromie. So uh, he and, and as I said, uh, were, uh, Rosenstein were discussing with other FBI and DOJ officials this attempt to subvert the Constitution. Now, they didn't see it as subverting the Constitution, nor will they admit to that, but that's effectively what it was. And McCabe was out describing this in greater detail, attacking President Trump, violating all sorts of, in my view, rules and regulations and laws about the confidentiality of FBI investigations and communications directly with the president, evidently. Uh, And he was confirming and reconfirming that this, uh, this coup attempt took place. Now, why is it a coup? Because there was no good faith basis to remove the president. These were unelected bureaucrats. In the case of Rosenstein, he was an appointed bureaucrat, confirmed by the Senate, but not a cabinet official. 
and they are talking about removing the president simply because they fired someone, he fired someone uh, they liked, James Comey. There was no evidence that he had done anything wrong beyond uh, making that personnel decision they did not like. No evidence he had obstructed justice. No evidence he was colluding with the Russians. There had never been any evidence he was colluding with the Russians. And yet you had these senior DOJ and FBI officials talk about removing him from office under the auspices of the 25th Amendment. Now, using a constitutional provision in an unconstitutional way, that's a coup. Removing the head of our government in unauthorized, unconstitutional ways would be a coup. And I tell you, if these were generals, oh, there's a train coming by, excuse me. If these were generals and colonels in the Pentagon talking about removing the president, do you think the liberal media would have any trouble figuring out what it was? It would be called a coup. But because these are bureaucrats over at the Justice Department and the FBI, oh, it's more concerned about, well, why didn't they like President Trump, as opposed to the outrage of the seditious conspiracy against him in our country. And, you know, when I, uh, and I'm sure you've watched these updates before. If you haven't, uh, you see my speeches. I get upset about this attack on President Trump, not because I think President Trump is a great president. I mean, I agree with him on a lot of things. I disagree with him on a few things. But I think he's the president, or I recognize he's the lawful president of the United States. And in order to remove him or impede his presidency, you've got to follow the rules. Now, if you want to impede his presidency politically, God bless America, we have the First Amendment, you can petition your government, you know, do your protests, uh, Congress can yell and, and, uh, and do its oversight, and that's politics. But to abuse the powers to prosecute someone, FBI powers to spy on someone, the government powers to spy on our adversaries abroad and use that as a backdoor way to target President Trump and his team. One of the other things that's confirmed that McCabe and Rosenstein were discussing was the Mueller appointment, the special counsel appointment. So out of this coup discussion, out of this sedition discussion, flows the Mueller special counsel. So the successor to these coup discussions is the Mueller special counsel, and it's the continuation of what is really a slow-motion effort to illicitly overthrow the president of the United States. And you may not like President Trump, but you ought to like our Constitution, and you ought to be concerned when you have deep state bureaucrats who think they know better than you and know better than our founders and our constitutional system acting in a way to remove someone elected to office illicitly and improperly. Outrageous. I mean, this is how we lose a republic, folks. It's laid out there for you. And the media won't talk about it like this. President Trump understands it. He's calling it a coup. But you've got to recognize the dire threat to our system of government, our constitutional republic, caused by these bureaucrats who are out of control, who think they are answerable to no one. Call it what you will. 
the deep state, the permanent bureaucracy, the administrative state. I've called it before uh, the alt-government. They literally think they are more power, they, 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 they act as if they're unaccountable. In many ways they are. Congress isn't providing accountability. As I said, Rosenstein hasn't been questioned about this at all. In fact, he's going to be leaving probably the next month because they've appointed the new Attorney General, Bill Barr, uh, and the President has appointed uh, a new Deputy Attorney General, so Rosenstein's on his way out. Will he ever be questioned about this? I don't know. Senator Graham at the, just, at the Judiciary Committee on the Senate side, Senator Lindsey Graham, South Carolina, you should call him. You should call the Judiciary Committee. Find out, I don't know, I, I should have thought about this before I started talking to you, but go online, see who's on the Judiciary Committee, call those senators. And if your senator, for, if your senators or senator from your home state is on the Judiciary Committee, especially call them and let them know you want a full investigation and accounting here. Now, of course, the Attorney General, the new Attorney General of the United States, Mr. Barr, he needs to get on the ball here, too. Will he? I don't know. I don't know him personally. I don't know if he's going to be, uh, have the, the, the kind of the, the bravery and the courage to overturn, flip over some tables at the Justice Department and do a criminal investigation of the abuse of authority in office here? Remember, it wasn't just, it wasn't just Mr. McCabe. It wasn't just Mr. Rosenstein. There were other top officials at DOJ and FBI involved in these discussions. In fact, a top lawyer, Mr. James Baker, former FBI counsel, another Comey crony, Comey crony, testified to the House, I think, over the... Uh, we still don't have the full testimony, outrageously. He supposedly testified that they have taught, they did try to talk to cabinet officials and got a few votes, potentially, for this coup. This seditious conspiracy, and I printed out the law that defines seditious conspiracy because I want to educate you about what seditious conspiracy is, sedition. Sedition is efforts to overthrow the government, and seditious conspiracy is related to that. And it's 18 U.S.C. section 2384. If two or more persons in any state or territory or in any place subject to the jurisdiction of the United States conspire to overthrow put down or to, or to destroy by force the government of the United States or to levy war against them or to impose by force the authority thereof or by force to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law of the United States or by force to seize, take, or possess any property of the United States contrary to the authority thereof they shall be fined under, the title, under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. It's up to 20 years. What I described to you, did that sound like seditious conspiracy? And let me tell you about Andrew McCabe. Andrew McCabe, Judicial Watch is an expert on Andrew McCabe's corruption at the FBI. It was Judicial Watch that exposed that Andrew McCabe, whose wife had run uh, for state uh, office in Virginia and received well over a half a million dollars, up to 700 plus thousand dollars from Clinton crony Terry McAuliffe, then Virginia governor, 
corrupt in his own right, was involved, uh, of course, McCabe was involved in all these investigations, including the Clinton investigations. Now, he says, well, he didn't have to recuse himself because the campaign was over by the time he was involved fully in the Clinton investigations. Well, the fact is, uh, that isn't good enough. And the fact is, Judicial Watch found that despite his protestations, he didn't have to recuse himself, he actually did recuse himself from the Clinton investigations. But only a week before the election. So there was a secret recusal by McCabe. And of course, McCabe, the documents that Judicial Watch uncovered, was directing the PR response to the allegations that were out there about the conflict as a result of his wife being on the hook to the Clinton gang while he was assistant FBI director and uh, more specifically why he was uh, before that head of the Washington field office of the FBI. And it was Judicial Watch that uncovered this secret recusal. And then later, uh, he was fired as a result of an IG investigation. The Inspector General of the Justice Department concluded that he lied repeatedly to his colleagues in the IG in, uh, about his um, involvement and whether he had permission to leak to the media uh, about the Clinton Foundation investigation. You know, and ironically, he was try- the leak he was accused of uh, doing was uh, something to to suggest that the FBI is trying to defend the FBI saying that he, they were actually were doing the Clinton Foundation investigation and it hadn't been shut down. So that's the irony there. I don't know if he lied. He's been accused of lying and he's under criminal investigation, but that's the reason he was fired. Now he's out there saying the reason he was fired was because of um, uh, his decision to open a Russian investigation into President Trump. Well, I wish that were the case because he should have been fired for that, because that was an abuse of authority. There was no legitimate reason for him to begin a counterintelligence investigation into President Trump. Just think about that. He's the sitting president of the United States, and you have some bureaucrat at the FBI decide he's going to start investigating his communications with Russia. If he has significant concerns in that regard, he should just resign. Did they investigate Obama because he was doing seemingly everything possible to advance the interests of Iran? Of course not. We start investigating presidents when they start behaving in a way that you pretend advance the interests of a foreign power? Well, that can't be that can't be the law. And of course it isn't the law. It's an abuse. McCabe, of course, signed on to one of these fraudulent FISA warrant applications. So he is severely ethically challenged. He's facing prosecution. Now, supposedly, there are documents out there because he also, like his boss, Comey, wrote secret CYA memos, again, abusing his authority, about his conversations uh, not only within the FBI about his targeting of Trump, this coup attempt, but even his communications with President Trump. So there's a lot to be uncovered here. And of course, the media isn't going to do it. They've moved on. I don't even know what they're covering today. Who knows what they're covering today? I don't know what the latest flavor is. 
it's hard to keep track, and I and I'm, I keep track. But you know, who knows what the latest flavor is? What 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 the latest crisis or pretend crisis they're covering? But there's been a coup attempt against the president of the United States, and it's important that we stand against it. And Judicial Watch has been standing against these efforts, and we've been calling it a coup, seditious conspiracy, soft coup, slow motion coup, no matter, however you want to call it. We've been calling it that for the years that the president has been in office. So we're not going to forget about it. And to that end, Judicial Watch sued this week for the coup documents. You going to record the president? Did you really record the president? Give us the documents. Give us the recordings. Give us these memos. Give us the communications about your plotting is against the president of the United States in contravention of your oath of office and the Constitution. You know, I told you the elements of this coup were disclosed, more specifically, in September of last year. Now, Judicial Watch immediately filed three a series of FOIA requests, three in total, that have been ignored by this rogue Justice Department. Yes, rogue Justice Department that sees itself as above the Constitution. And so Judicial Watch is now in federal court suing to get the coup documents. You know, President Trump may just survive this coup, but will a, a future president, when faced with similar bureaucratic conniving and seditiousness, will they survive it? This is why we've got to stand fast against it, ensure accountability. And if Congress doesn't want to do it, if the Justice Department doesn't want to do it, and the Justice Department is going to want to do it, Mueller, as I said, is the successor to this slow-motion coup. You can bet Mueller's team of partisan prosecutors who are never Trumpers. Remember, again, it was Judicial Watch who exposed that the number two, the number two deputy in Mueller's operation, Andrew Weissman, is an anti-Trumper. He sent an email to Sally Yates who was the Obama holdover acting attorney general in the beginning of uh, President Trump's term. Now, Sally Yates outrageously tried to torpedo the president's initial uh, uh, travel restriction orders, saying she wouldn't defend him in court. Complete abdication of her oath and her responsibility to the president and the people of the United States. And she was rightly and immediately fired by the president. We uncovered an email from Andrew Weissman to her saying I couldn't be more, pro- I was in awe of her. He, she was, he was in awe of her. Decision to subvert the rule of law and the Constitution. And there were separate reports by the Wall Street Journal that Andrew Weissman, again, number two under Mueller, he's basically running the operation for Mueller, went to the election night party in New York City at the main headquarters of Hillary Clinton's election night party. It didn't turn out to be much of a party. But this top Justice Department official is at this partisan, what was to be a partisan celebration of Hillary's election. And now he's running the 
leading the point against the Trump team? When's it going to end? I don't know when it's going to end. Everyone was all excited this week because there were news reports that the Justice Department was expecting, specifically Attorney General Barr, that uh, the Mueller operation would come to a close, at least with respect to President Trump, and they'd be giving them uh, a report, as the regulations require. Now there's a report today, well, that may not be the case. So I don't know what to believe. My suspicion is the Mueller operation is never really going to end, and if it ends in, in form, it will continue informally through other Justice Department harassing operations targeting President Trump that President Trump is just going to always be harassed by the Justice Department. This is unless President, unless Attorney General Barr steps up and defends President Trump and the rule of law. You know, the, 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 the dishonest, morally dishonest, intellectually dishonest establishment, you know, they, when they bring these attorney generals in, especially Attorney General Barr, you know, are you going to stand up against President Trump? Well, the answer... And the question ought to be, not are you going to stand up against President Trump, are you going to stand up to President Trump, but are you going to stand up for President Trump? Are you going to stand up for President Trump in the face of this abuse? Are you going to stand up for the rule of law in the face of this abuse? That's the real test. Because the establishment thinks that President Trump should be turned out of office through an illegal coup. They don't have any trouble abusing the spy powers of the government to target him. They don't have any trouble uh, pretending or uh, trying to enforce this rule that he can't be president, that all of his acts as president should be constrained. And to the degree he exercises his lawful authority as president should be used against him in a court of law. We need an attorney general who's going to stand up against that. Protecting the office of the presidency as the Constitution envisioned it from those who would bring a wrecking ball to it. So we've got our lawsuit, and we're not going to forget about this, and we're going to keep on pursuing it. I don't know what Mueller's going to do. I do know what Judicial Watch is going to do. Try to maintain accountability and integrity. To protect the presidency and our republic from the predations of those who would destroy it. This is a dire, dire situation. So, again, as this Justice Department and the FBI, and we can go back to 2016, maybe even earlier, were working to target President Trump, or then-candidate Trump, colluding with uh, Hillary Clinton. Remember, it was a joint operation between the Clinton uh, campaign, the DNC, their vendors, and the FBI and the Justice Department to spy on and try to destroy President Trump. Top leadership were involved in that. Now, the problem they had was that Hillary Clinton had evidently committed crimes. So they needed to work to cover that up. And, uh, and they knew she had committed a lot of crimes. And there's almost a comical piece of information that Judicial Watch has uncovered. We uncovered last week, and I described to you Documents that we uncovered in a lawsuit uh, uh, for documents between Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, the fired and retired FBI officials who were having an affair. They were running both the Clinton and Russia investigations. Peter Strzok 
uh, talked about having insurance policies against Trump's real election, uh, how they favor Trump over Clinton, denigrating Trump supporters, all sorts of partisan bias evident in their text messages. So we sued for all communications between Page and Strzok, and we've hit We've struck gold in terms of getting documents that, again, Congress hasn't gotten, the media isn't interested in, and that the Justice Department has tried to withhold. And last week we got documents showing, uh, confirming that the FBI, uh, uh, the State Department tried to bribe the FBI with special positions for FBI officials abroad. If the FBI underclassified material from Clinton's email server. We also found that Hillary Clinton's lawyer uh, called up and yelled at the uh, FBI general counsel about Comey's letter to Congress about the Wiener laptop and that the FBI dropped everything to try to respond. Hillary Clinton was effectively running the FBI and DOJ at the time. It's pretty clear. They thought she was coming in as president. So the same lawsuit found some new documents and they show so I said this almost comical and keystone cop cover-up to protect Hillary Clinton. So you remember James Comey has this outrageous press conference in July of 2016 uh, saying that Hillary Clinton shouldn't be prosecuted, uh, mangling the rule of law, uh, just violating everyone's rights, including Hillary's, believe it or not and attacking her while trying to let her off the hook. It was just a really terrible, terrible performance by the FBI director, but it had the effect of protecting the, what was perceived to be the incoming president of the United States. And they all hated Trump, as I say. So a few days after that, there's an email. And, uh, and the chain involves Peter Strzok, that, the corrupt FBI official I talked to you about. So someone writes... That, uh, another F- that an FBI official in the National Security Branch uh, was writing, uh, producing a chart of the statutory violations considered during the investigation of Clinton's server and the reasons for the recommendations not to prosecute. So this chart was being worked on after Comey had let her off the hook improperly. Someone replies, I'm still working on an additional page for these TPs, talking points that consist of the chart of the statutory violations considered during the investigation and the reasons for the recommendations not to prosecute, hopefully in non-lawyer friendly terms. So this is like a PR document. And Strzok forwards this to Page, uh, another FBI official, and, and says, I've refined, uh, broadly, I have some concerns about asking some of our senior field folks to get into the business of briefing this case specifically when we have the director's statement as a kind of standalone document. And in my opinion, there's too much nuance, detail, and potential for missteps, but I get they may likely be asked for comments, so they were still working on it. But then someone writes to Strzok, the, uh, the deputy director, Andrew McCabe, will need to approve these before they are pushed out to anyone. At the end of last week, he wasn't inclined to send them to anyone, but it's great to have them on the shelf in case they're needed. And then and this is the kicker. The same official, I think, because the names are being redacted improperly, but we, we can't fight about that now. He writes to Strzok and Page, I'm not really sure why they continue working on these talking points. 
It's days after Comey had said that Hillary isn't going to be prosecuted, or should it be prosecuted. And Loretta Lynch, of, uh, who after her meeting with Bill Clinton at the tarmac, you know, we all knew how she was going to rule. Well, we all knew how she was going to rule before that, evidently, according to Comey. I'm not really sure why they continue working on these talking points. In the morning, I'll make sure Andy, Andy McCabe, the corrupt number two, tells Mike to keep these in his pocket. So this chart of potential crimes Hillary Clinton committed and the alleged reasons to not prosecute her are, quote, in the pocket of the FBI and have yet to be released. So we caught the FBI in another cover-up of embarrassing information about Hillary Clinton. We also caught the FBI uh, really kind of manipulating the process in an after-the-fact way because uh, Comey asked for... uh, a list of all cases charged in the last 20 years where the gravamen of the charge was mishandling classified information. It should be in a chart form. Again, another chart. The FBI likes its charts. With case name, a short summary for content, charges brought, and charges of conviction, and the charge of conviction. Now, this was written in May, but we already, we already know that Comey had decided not to prosecute Hillary long before that. So this is after the fact kind of rationalization to protect Hillary Clinton. It's just fascinating material. So we've got 186 pages of emails. I encourage you to read them all. And again, it's Judicial Watch that's finding this material. There's another great email here. Before I, I forgot about this one. It's not really scandalous, but it kind of tells you what Comey's attitude is. Um, oh, maybe it was in the other one, but I'll go over it again. So, uh, oh, never mind. I'm going to move on. So, a lot of emails in here. Uh, keep go to our full press release for f- further details. But just the headline is. There's a chart of potential Hillary Clinton crimes that the FBI is withholding from you, the American people. And they were trying to protect her uh, from having that come out uh, with the help of Andrew McCabe. So uh, we're expecting more information from this lawsuit. Now, with respect to Peter, uh, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Andrew McCabe, people like that at the FBI, you should know the FBI is taking the position we can't get their text messages, or at least all of them. They have, a no op- they have no obligation to protect, cure, and search and produce text messages under FOIA. Only if the agent decides to put the text message into the system will they look at it. So, as best I can tell, text messages from Andrew McCabe, Comey, Page and Strzok could be missing by the thousands under this theory of law that the FBI is still arguing and supporting in court. So the cover-up continues. And Congress is AWOL. 
Justice Department and the FBI are on the side of stonewalling and cover-up, and it's Judicial Watch that's battling for the truth and accountability in federal court. <sighs> Going to another topic. Judicial Watch has filed an amicus brief, with the, an amicus brief, a friend of court brief, with the Supreme Court on an important case. Um, one that's probably more important uh, uh, than the media will ever tell you about, uh, but it goes to the heart of what we are as a country and where we are, constitutionally speaking. Uh, there is a challenge to a memorial cross here in Blandisburg, Maryland, uh, by the usual suspects who don't like crosses on allegedly public property. It's a World War I memorial cross. It's been up there for 93 years. The lower court had ruled that the um, memorial may have to be torn down because it violates the Constitution. And obviously supporters of the memorial have uh, pursued their case all the way up to the Supreme Court. And so when we have an interest, we're not the, an underlying litigants, but we filed a Supreme Court friend of court brief. You'll see this green, uh, green booklet. Uh, why is it green? Because that's what the Supreme Court tells us it has to be. <laughs> Depending on what you file and whose side you're on, uh, the color of the booklet and, uh, is, uh, varies. And, uh, and we've got to be sure to follow the Supreme Court rules. So that's why the booklet is green. And we make the point that the Supreme Court, in terms of the First Amendment, needs to get back to the basics. Because the left has interpreted the Establishment Clause of the U.S. Constitution that uh, respecting the establishment of a religion as to prohibit public displays of religion on government property, or namely federal property in this case. But that's not what the Establishment Clause says, and that's not what the history of the clause is. The language ratified, as we point out, plainly restrained federal establishment of religion. This point is found both in the words chosen and ratified, as well as the history and acceptance of state establishments. So when the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion, it's saying that the federal government can't establish a state religion. Of course, the states at the time were establishing stated religions, and that's what the Supreme Court, that's what the First Amendment was trying to protect. They can't get into business, A, of establishing a state religion or prohibiting state establishment of religion. This point is found in both the words chosen and ratified, as well as the history and acceptance of state establishments. As ratified, the Establishment Clause prohibits Congress for making any law respecting an establishment of religion. Respecting was language adopted by Joint Committee. Both the Senate and the House versions of the amendment sent to the Joint Committee stated that Congress shall make no law establishing. By adding the word respecting, the Joint Committee, and subsequently the ratifiers, were making it clear that Congress had no power, quote, with reference to or with regard to religious establishment. 
The text and history of the Establishment Clause strongly suggests that it is a federalism provision intended to prevent Congress from interfering with state establishments. Thus, unlike the Free Exercise Clause, the free exercise thereof, which does protect individual right, it makes little sense to incorporate the Establishment Clause. By incorporation was applying it against the states. History supports this plain language interpretation of the Establishment Clause. In addition to the public support of religion in the public square at the time of the ratification of the Bill of Rights, at least six states had established churches. Had the framers intended the Establishment Clause to protect individual rights, these states' establishments would have been unconstitutional. And what do I mean by individual rights? Those challenging this cross say they are offended by the cross. And their rights are being infringed. Well, that's ridiculous. And it's ridiculous, as we point out in this brief. Now, the problem with the First Amendment litigation or jurisprudence in this area is that the court's been all over the place. There have been fights about nativity displays, about Ten Commandment displays, and obviously there's going to be a fight about the cross. Again, a cross which would have to be torn down. And one of the effective things we do in this brief is we provide pictures of other crosses and other national memorials that would also probably have to be turned down. This is a cross in Arlington Cemetery. This is another cross in Arlington Cemetery. This is a cross in Connecticut. This is a cross in Cypress Hills, New York. These are all government property crosses. These are crosses in New Mexico, all over the country. Do you know that in this case, one of the lower courts suggested that they in order to make the cross constitutionally acceptable, they cut the arms off. But that's how far out the courts have been in their anti-religious zealotry here. The Establishment Clause of the United States does not prohibit the public expression or religious belief on private property. It simply doesn't. And if you don't like it, there's no individual right to, to complain about it constitutionally. It's simple. To suggest otherwise is, odds, is at odds with our constitutional history. There's been some Supreme Court precedents that have suggested that, well, you know, like crosses and Ten Commandment displays, as long as they've been around a long time and have achieved some sort of uh, secular purpose, we can keep them. Well, that's, you know, that may be fine in terms of allowing these public displays of religion to remain on public property, but constitutionally speaking, it's completely out to lunch. As long as these religious icon, uh, icons are violative of the first commandment, they're okay, constitutionally speaking. Well, obviously, that can't be the case our founders would be turning over in their graves at that very idea. So now there are significant numbers of conservatives on the court that used to not to be there, thanks to President uh, Trump's two appointees. 
So we'll see. Maybe we'll get a better change, get a good result here. So they hear the argument next week. So if I dare say it, let's pray for wisdom and discernment for our Supreme Court justices. And let's pray also for courage uh, for the rest of the branches of government so that they also stand up for the rule of law and religious expression as protected by the Constitution. Uh, but before I, before I go, I want to talk, give you a voter fraud update. Uh, one of our big cases, which I've talked about, is against the state of California and Los Angeles County, where we have been suing with our, our, our friends in California, some plaintiffs, uh, resident voters, and the Election Integrity Project of California. We sued the state of California because they hadn't, uh, and Los Angeles County because they weren't removing names as required by federal law, National Voter Registration Act. They haven't removed a name from the rolls in 20 years, and the law requires states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls. Instead, they were just leaving the names on, and uh, they were calling them inactive voters. And dirty voting rolls are a recipe for dirty elections. So uh, long story short, they settled with us as a result of other Judicial Watch litigation in Ohio that was upheld last year by the Supreme Court. And L.A. County has agreed to begin the process of removing up to 1.56 million names from their voter rolls. Isn't that incredible? As best we can tell, there are only like three and a half, well, not only, too many, but three and a half million names nationwide. We may cut the problem almost in half as a result of this federal settlement. And kudos, frankly, to L.A. County and California, Secretary of State there, for agreeing to the settlement. I mean, you can be sure they didn't agree with Judicial Watch's analysis here initially, but they agreed to do the right thing here. Now, of course, we got to hold them accountable and make sure they do the right thing. So, as I said, this process begins. They're going to remove up to 1.56 million names. And uh, the first set of names was supposed to be, in, be removed earlier this week. So we're reached a significant milestone. Now, the thing is, I don't know how many names they removed, if any, but it's proceeding. And as I said, this is the most historic piece of litigation on this issue ever because of the sheer volume of names that are at issue here. So there's going to be a group of names removed this year and then two more years from now and two more years after that. I think that's the calendar, more or less. It's a slow process. The names have built up over 20 years. But you can be sure that uh, we're going to go to other places in California to make sure that other names are cleaned up, as L.A. County is doing, and other states that have similar problems, not as egregious as California, but there are other states out there. We listed a bunch of them uh, a year or so ago. You can look online. I don't have them off the top of my head. They include places like Virginia, Illinois, where they have more names in the rolls in certain places in those states in the Commonwealth of Virginia than are eligible to vote. That's a pretty good indication that they're not taking reasonable steps to clean up the rolls. Now, another big issue out in California, and it's one in North Carolina as well, where a Republican candidate uh, there's going to be a new election 
for a Republican, uh, excuse me, for a congressional seat in North Carolina because it looks like a Republican operative had illegally gathered ballots and may have suppressed them because as a result of the, the illegal gathering of ballots, which has caused the result, called, uh, called the results of the election into dispute. So there's going to be a brand new election thanks to ballot harvesting, which is a felony in North Carolina. In, North, in California, though, the law has been changed to allow it to take place. And ballot harvesting is legalized fraud, in my view, because there are almost no sufficient checks in place to make sure that you give someone a ballot, it's actually, it's actually voted upon or actually moved, uh, you know, uh, in theory, the ballot harvester goes around, collects ballots, delivers it to the polling place to be counted. Well, you've got to hope that happens, but there's no guarantee it happens. And I don't believe the checks are in place in California to make sure that happens. Legalized fraud, legalized opportunity for fraud. I don't know how you want to put it, but it's a mess. I know a lot of you are concerned about it, and trust me that we are initiating a significant investigation into ballot harvesting in California. And I'm going to have more on that next week for you. But we're not forgetting about it. We're not forgetting about it. And this is in addition to our concerns about aliens illegally voting, huge numbers in Texas potentially, numbers in Pennsylvania. Tens of millions of aliens are here in the United States, both legal and otherwise. A certain percentage of them register to vote, and a certain percentage vote. It stands to reason. The only question is how many. And I think even just one illegal alien voting, or one alien illegally voting, is too many. And Judicial Watch is on top of that. So I'm proud to say there's probably no other group like Judicial Watch out there trying to uphold the rule of law on YouTube, etc., and, of course, I'll be speaking uh, if you're not there. So you can tune in to CPAC through Judicial Watch. Uh, and they usually have a lot of good speakers there uh, to uh, try to advance uh, the conservative values that we share. So I encourage you to tune in next week, and I'll see you at CPAC as well. So, again, thanks again, and I'll see you next time here on Judicial Watch's weekly update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.